Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And one of my favorite topics to hear people debate is on tap today for our discussion here. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun and, of course, always informative. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. And fortunately, we won't hear the usual debate, but instead we will get some facts to support those who like to debate perhaps one side or the other of this topic. My guest is going to be Attorney Lance Ebel from Lavelle Law Limited. And our topic will be overtime pay, particularly what workers are entitled to receive overtime compensation. You know, so many workers have opinions about overtime, and today we're going to find out who is entitled and under what conditions. And I think it's really going to be very informative, very helpful. So, uh, Lance, I appreciate you being here to help us sort it out. We've got a lot to cover today. Yes, we do. So let's dig in. I'm, I'm going to kind of break this into little pieces here, and, and you can kind of help us as we, we work our way through it. And, and my first question really is, as, as we have this conversation, you know, who is responsible for overtime laws? Are these written at the state level, or are they part of some federal law? They're actually both. Um, conveniently, for the most part, they do overlap. So if you're looking under the federal umbrella, you're looking at the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act. If you're looking under state law, you're primarily looking at two statutes, the Minimum Wage Act and the Wage Payment and Collection Act. Uh, and then acting kind of in tandem between the three of them, they kind of cover the gamut of overtime and what's required. Uh, and again, it's nice. The state legislation really overlaps nicely with the federal, which you don't always have. Yeah, that can be an exception, really. And so let me just make this blanket statement, then it might diffuse one of the myths right off the start here, and then and then I'll come back and we'll get into some of the details. But with the both federal and state laws in place, is it fair to say in general terms that really employers then don't have a say in determining whether or not employees receive overtime pay? They have rules that need to be followed. They do. Um, now, do the employers have a say? I guess it would be probably a nominal say, um, and then that's open for debate, but it's, that really <clears throat> tends, and I'll, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it really depends on how they structure the person's job, to be honest with you. So they can control that to some extent, but mm-hmm. you know they're going to be looked at by the state or federal government if that's what they do. Okay. So let's let's start at the top level, and let's just do some of the basics here first in terms of overtime. Is there a uh, sort of a high-level description you can give us about who is entitled and who is not under these laws? Well, I mean, let's start at the most basic level with the question of who is entitled um, or when, I guess, might be the better question. Um, When is whenever anybody works over 40 hours in a work week, which is generally defined as Monday through Friday but can be different just depending on the employer's hours of operation. So that's kind of the starting, that's the threshold issue. Did you work more than 40 hours in a given week? And then the next question is, if so, are you entitled to overtime? Okay. And how how do we go about starting to answer that particular question then? 
Well, let's let's debunk my my favorite myth about this and <clears throat> the one that I get most often. It's not based on whether you're a salaried employee or an hourly employee. Uh, you may be a salaried employee and qualify for overtime. You may be an hourly employee and not qualify for overtime. So that's usually the easiest question that I get, uh, and then it kind of breaks down from there, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, now, when we talk about you, you mentioned earlier job descriptions in terms of what type mm-hmm. of work someone does. Is that mm-hmm. really you know sort of the deciding factor? <clears throat> Uh, the description itself is not, um, but let's let's look at, and I'm only going to deal with the more common exemptions. Um, there are many, but the five most common ones that you'll run across and that I've actually clashed with the state about are basically called the executive exemption, the administrative employee exemption, professional employee exemption, the computer employee exemption, or the outside sales employee exemption. Uh, There are many other ones, Um, just to list a few, uh, commission sales employees, drivers, loaders, and mechanics, farm workers, seasonal employees. Um, So you can see that there's kind of a pretty broad list of people that may not qualify for overtime. Mm -hmm. But these are the most five common exemptions. And what they really share in common when you talk about job descriptions is just because you're a computer guy, doesn't mean you're exempt or that you're required to be paid overtime. Similarly, if you're an executive at a company, you may not really be an executive under the exemption. So there must be then some subcategories or some further means of of differentiating among those who are, are not exempt within those categories. There are, and basically what you have to do as an employer, and, and this will be one of the few times that I actually pump somebody you know, talking to a lawyer, uh, is you really have to break down each of these exemptions and say, okay, what are the qualifications that the government is going to look at and say, okay, this person qualifies as an executive employer, this person is an administrative employee. And, you know, each one of them kind of has their own little pitfalls. Uh, Just from personal experience, I can tell you that the administrative one is kind of challenging. It's not just a person that's an office assistant. They have to be in charge of other people. They kind of have to directly work for the person that runs the company. So there's a little bit more to it than, oh, that's just an administrative person. I don't owe them overtime. Same thing with the outside sales. This is a very common one that is litigated, for lack of a better term, Um, you know, what is the person really doing? Are they doing outside sales, but they spend the majority of their time in the office, or are they really on the road most of the time? So each one of these breaks down into these very specific, you know, what do you do? What does the job entail? And it isn't governed by what you say the job title is. Okay. So an employer who is assembling a staff, starting a company, or has an operation, you know, that uh, that they're responsible for today, in theory then could look at these guidelines and establish job descriptions and job responsibilities accordingly if if they want to manage their, you know, their payroll going forward to be in a position where they are not going to have to overtime. It's a matter of structuring jobs within the requirements as they're laid out then, right? Correct. Now, even that's not a fail-safe, but, I mean, if you're in compliance, I'd say, you know, the majority of it, you're going to get the nod. But, 
you know, mm-hmm. you, they're also not going to, they're going to look past it. You know, does that person actually do what their job description says they're doing? Um, <clears throat> so, they, you know, it, it is a little bit deeper than that, but it, it's certainly a good start to say, okay, this is the position we need to fill. Here's what the responsibilities are going to be. If this person does that, then they shouldn't, you know, be qualified for overtime. Uh, we are sharing some thoughts here with uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Lance Abel today. We're discussing overtime pay, who's eligible, who is not. Uh, Lance has joined us a number of times on the podcast series, and, and you can find his contributions here on, on Blog Talk Radio in the Chicago's Legal Latte section. You can also download them from iTunes. And if you stop by LavelleLaw.com, you'll not only find uh, past podcasts with Lance, you also find articles he's written, including one on this topic, which was posted recently. Um, so uh, feel free to take a look and share some of that with coworkers, friends, and others that uh, that may find an interest here. Um, Lance, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but if we determine that someone is eligible for overtime, are there also then um, guidelines that say how that overtime is calculated, such as, I mean, is it always going to be time and a half or double time, or is that part of some other negotiation? The specific statutory references are to one and a half times their hourly rate of pay. Now, obviously, if you have an hourly employee, that's pretty simple, $8, $12, so on. It gets a little bit stickier with salaried employees uh, because you have to be able to break them down on an hourly basis, which you can do, but, you know, it's not challenging from a mathematical standpoint, but, you know, that's also an issue is sometimes, again, people just see salary and they go, oh, I don't have to pay overtime. And unfortunately, that's not the case. So it is time and a half. That's the way the statute's written, and that's what the requirement is. There's a couple other things maybe to point out, Jim, about this real Mm -hmm. quick, is that under the state laws, and I've run into this with employers too and in federal lawsuits, is you have to keep your employment records for three years. Okay, So people that swipe a time card or punch in and out, you've got to keep those for three years because if you don't and somebody says, well, he didn't pay me overtime, you're going to be behind the eight ball defending yourself if you don't have these records. And, and it's important, I would think, then, as you mentioned, even for salespeople, executives, that there be some record then of, of, of time worked. It, and not everyone punches a clock necessarily, but you do want the employment record of some some tracking of their time. Correct. Okay. Okay. And and um, I, I just want to go back to to the exempt status a little bit, which you were talking about the five main categories and, and some others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if an employer is looking to make sure that they're generally uh, abiding by the laws here, do they sit down with someone like yourself? Is there if they if they were to go and look up the laws, are they easy enough to follow? I mean, how does someone make sure that they're really doing the right thing? Well, it can be easy to follow if you have a very good grasp of what your employee is doing. Now, if you're uncertain, then you certainly want to sit down with an attorney just to be sure, um, because one other nice attribute of some of these different statutes is that they impose personal liability on the owner. So not only is the company on the hook, but you know whoever manages the payroll or the owner of the company could potentially be personally liable to the person. And the penalties on these cases are not to be taken lightly. So it's it's a very serious thing. And if you have any doubts, you really should talk to an attorney about it. 
Okay, and that, that's great. I was going to ask you about that. So there are fines and or penalties associated with this, and if someone does bring a suit and you go back several years and find those records are there and that they were eligible, that this could end up being a pretty costly decision then. It could be. It's, you know, For example, uh, you know, a classic kind of case is the, under the Wage Payment and Collection Act, it's 20%. There's interest. The owner can be personally liable. It just gets very sloppy very quickly if you don't have good records. Okay. And I'm going to throw one more question at you. Um, I don't know if this is off topic or outside of the, the realm of what we might be expect to talk about here, but you know, in past situations I've often heard um, in talking about this, that um, an employer might be allowed, rather than offering overtime, that uh, they could offer you know comp time or accumulated time that mm-hmm. someone could then take off. Is is that a myth as well? That no, that can be done. Um, okay. Certainly, you know, as long as they're getting credit for the time worked in some compensatory fashion, um, it, it's recognized as being okay. Um, so it's one of those things you can do comp time. You just have to be, you know, very detailed with the records. And then finally, before we let you go, we talked about the, you know the forty-hour work a week work limit. Um, is overtime also a possibility for part-time employees if they go over X number of hours in a particular day? You know, it's really written to be forty hours, so it's it's per week. So you know, if you work, if you're a part-time person and you work you know, three days a week and you work 10 hours a day, you're not going to get to the threshold. Now, some states have eight-hour workday laws, and there's different things that come into play with that. But as far as looking at it strictly from an overtime standpoint, it's based on the week and it's based on the 40 hours. Okay. Well, excellent. Uh, Great recap today, Uh, Lance. I want to thank you for being here with us. Uh, Always get great information. And as I said at the beginning, this is really an interesting topic. We all have debates about it, but this is uh, one of the first times I've heard some some direct answers and some very informative uh, details there. So thanks very much for being with us. Um, we've got to wrap things up here now. Next week, Jim Boyd's going to join me along with a special guest. We're going to cover a new and I think a uh, very useful topic. Elizabeth Londo will be here. We're going to look at uh, what new small businesses should be focused on right after they start up. We've we've certainly looked at the startup process a number of times in conversations. Now we're going to say, all right, you're in business. What should you be doing from a operations and compliance point of view? And I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of uh, new business owners. So I hope you'll join us for that, and thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.